Well, Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you. It's all great to see you here on this Christmas Day, celebrating what some people consider the greatest day of all. We'll talk about that in just a couple of seconds. Uh, but if you've been here with us over this last month, we've been talking. This is not just for today. We've been talking about getting ready for Christmas. And Sunday after Sunday, we've talked about that. We even talked about how God got ready for Christmas. And then last night, I'm sure many of you were here, if not all of you, last night, we asked the question, are you ready for Christmas? And here it is. <laughs> we're done asking that question. We're done getting ready for Christmas. Now the question I have for you is, is if you are ready, if you've been taking seriously the things that we've been preaching from the Gospel of Luke, if you've been taking seriously what it means to get ready, and remember last night we said that getting ready for Christmas is receiving Jesus as Savior. That's the reason he came. Getting ready for Christmas includes following Jesus. So many people want to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and then it's like they forget why he came. I mean, let's, this, this might be a little bit difficult for some people to think about, but you know the Christmas story includes the Gospel of Matthew telling the story that when Herod, the king from Rome, heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he sent a, a squad of Roman soldiers to kill all the babies who were about, born about the time that Jesus was born. So if Jesus' death on the cross is all we needed for salvation, then why not just have Jesus killed with all the other babies? He's born and then he dies, then we're saved. It's a good, it's, it's a kind of a morbid question, but it's also a very important question because sometimes people get so focused on the cross, so focused, I'm, I'm, yeah, so focused on the cross and so focused on the resurrection that they basically say, we don't need to celebrate Christmas. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to celebrate Christmas. Nowhere in the Bible do you see people celebrating Christmas, you know, years and years after Jesus was born. So why, you can get this on the internet, you can get all preachers sometimes say this, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas Day because it's not something celebrated in the Bible. The cross, the, the death of Christ is far more important. The resurrection of Christ, I'm preaching, is, our, is more important. We don't really need to celebrate his birth. Now, those of us who are nostalgic people, we're like, what? Take away Christmas? You bunch of Grinches, and no, the, the, the purist would say, no, 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 we're not taking away Christmas. It's not, it's not even a word in the Bible. It's not even celebrated by Paul. It's not, it's, it's, it's not something that's important to the early church. So we're being biblical to say, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. You think, where are you going, Jim? I mean, you are preaching on Christmas Day. Yes, I am. I'm just setting you up because I don't believe that there's any um, basis to this idea that we should not celebrate Christmas Day just because it's not celebrated in the Bible. There's a lot of things that we do as Christians. There's a lot of things that we do as, as followers of Jesus that we don't see in the Bible. And so when we only talk about receiving Jesus as Savior and we don't talk about following him as Messiah, then we're missing the, Christ, the whole story. Jesus didn't come just to die he came to show us 
how to live. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Jesus didn't just come to die. I'm, I'm so glad he did. It's huge. It's important. But this whole thing that we emphasize at Church the Open Door, following Jesus as his disciple, he lived his life to show us how to live, how to love, how to live a life for God, for people. So when he died, it was far more significant than just uh, you know, any old death, even the death of God-man. Otherwise, again, he could have died as a baby. He's born, now he just needs to die. No, we need to see, and we need to see what it means to live surrender, just like Jesus lived full of the Holy Spirit, lived surrendered to God. So I'm so glad we have 30 years. I'm so glad we have the Gospels to show us the teaching, the life of Jesus, which would never have happened if it wasn't for Christmas. And we know now that Christmas means the celebration of Christ, the celebration of his birth. So I say and will say, and I'm so glad you're here to hear, we should have a Merry Christmas. I wish you, I, I pray for you to have a Merry Christmas because this is an awesome day to celebrate. And personally, I love that you're here on Christmas Day because this day is the day we've set aside to celebrate one of the greatest days in history. And without it, we would never have salvation of our sins. We would never have resurrection. All the things that are promised in the gospel would never have happened without Christmas. Amen? So I wish you a Merry Christmas. A couple years ago, I changed that up and said, I wish you a Christ-like Christmas. I preached a whole series on a Christ-like Christmas. But today, on this last celebration of Advent, Jesus has come, we're celebrating his birth. I want to invite you to have a great Christmas but you may say, that doesn't kind of really feel like a special word. I mean, great after Christ-like and merry. The reason why I want to wish you a great Christmas and hope you have a great Christmas is because, turn with me one more time to Luke chapter 2. That's the word that gets used again and again to describe the events. It's a biblical word. The word is mega you know, like mega lottery, you know, or, or whatever kind of phrases you want to put together. That Greek word mega is the word great, and it shows up over and over and over again in the Christmas story, in Matthew, in Luke, in the prophecies prophesying leading up to Christmas. It's actually a really good biblical Christmas word. And so, you know, here's just a couple examples before we get to our actual text. The angel tells Mary her son will be great, Elizabeth cries out in a great voice. Mary says, the Lord has done great things for me. The people living in the darkness have seen a great light. The word great shows up over and over and over in English and in Greek. And in our text this morning, we're gonna see this word. Uh, I'll show it to you a couple times in English and a couple times in Greek. So we see this word great is a great way to describe Christmas, even though we might overuse that word, but I'm just gonna use it today because it's the most biblical word to describe, the adjective to describe Christmas based upon our text. All right, so let's, let's stand and finish the Christmas story. We've read in the days coming up to this, Luke chapter one, Luke chapter two, verses one through six. Yesterday, verses six through seven. Today, story of the angels, the story of celebrating the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter two, 
verses 8 to 14. Here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, the Greek is, and they had great fear. I think terrified is a little clearer, a little cleaner. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, or maybe even great, that will cause great joy for all the people. For today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a everybody say with me, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying with a great voice, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. All right, you may be seated. Here's where I want to start. It's this word that the angels use in verse 10, to, uh, to, um, that this, this news will bring you great joy for all the people. So if you're taking notes today, you could write down this phrase, if you've gotten ready, all this talk about getting ready for Jesus, if you are now ready, you, according to the angel, are headed for great joy. This language, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. Now, let's just slow down in this verse. When the angel says, I bring you, that it's clearly telling he's, brought, he's bringing it from someplace. Well, he's bringing it from heaven. And the Bible says again and again that God sent the angel. So this good news is actually the good news from God. This is gonna be important as we walk through this. It's not the angel's news. The angel is the messenger. It's not his news, it's God's news. So God declared this to be a good day. God declared this is a day we should celebrate. God said, I'm gonna send angels like crazy, like I've never done in the history of the world and will never do again for this day, which is a day to celebrate. And this is a message from God. And what is this message? It's good news. The angels Giving us this goodness is a good day for us to celebrate. It's a good reason for joy because we get to hear the message from God that the angel brought to us, this message of great news, where the Bible actually calls it good news. It's both. And the reason I, I like the phrase good news is because many of you know that is actually the translation of the Greek word for gospel. When we use this word gospel all over the place, it's this phrase, good news. It's, it's a Greek word that actually sounds like evangelism because evangelism is good newsing people. It's telling people the good news of Jesus. So what's the first message of the gospel? Who are they? The angels, the messengers, the, the bringers, the declarers, the preachers, you might say, of the good news what do they say this gospel is? And this is cool to me because this, this, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. So if your version of the gospel is, well, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and if you repent of your sins, you get to go to heaven, 
which is kind of like the American version of the gospel, um, the, the, the Bible story of gospel starts with the angels as the first preachers. And so the question, what is the gospel? One word answer, Jesus. And that encompasses his birth. Yes, the birth of Jesus is a part of the gospel. The message of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. Yes, the death of Jesus. Yes, the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, the redemptive plan that God has for the world. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. He is the reason there is good news. He is good news, amen? And so anything associated with him is the gospel of the good news of Christ. Now, you can't just take bits and pieces and say, this is the gospel. You need to tell the whole story. But when you say Jesus and all that that means from scripture, you're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the message of the gospel. Jesus is good news, all of who he is, what he taught, what he did, what he said, everything. But the angels don't stop there. They make a big deal about this day. They say, today is the day, this day of, of great joy, this day of celebration. So if you're, again, taking notes, write down the word celebrating Jesus' great day, this day that the angels announce as today. And I, I want to actually have a little fun with this. What is today? When we see that, te- that word in the text, when is today, which brings up the whole question about celebrating Christmas on the 25th. Because today is Christmas Day, but if I was preaching this tomorrow, it'd be December 26th. Is that still the day to celebrate today in the town of David? Well, we would say, no, today is Jesus's birthday. But when is Jesus's birthday? What, what, what's the date? And many of you have read stories or heard sermons or or things, seeing things on the internet that says we shouldn't celebrate Christmas on December 25th because December 25th was not the day that Jesus was born. I'd love for someone to conclusively prove that. I can't prove that it is December 25th, but you can't prove that it's not December 25th. And I've read all the things that say, you know, why it's not December 25th. I'm gonna suggest to you today that December 25th works just fine. Why should we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Well, yes, it's true that there were some people who celebrated the, the, you know, what they called the, the birthday of the Roman gods Saturn, so the, the festival Saturnalia, uh, Sol Invictus. You know, these are historical facts that, that the Roman pagans did celebrate on December 25th, many of them, what they called the birthday of these gods. And some early Christians said, why should we let the pagans rule our calendar? Jesus is Lord over all. And so they said, let's replace those pagan celebrations, not add a Christian, because now you've got pagan celebrations and Christian. Let's replace, let's replace the the culture's pagan ideas with Christian ideas. This was their idea. So they're, they're trying to, overthrow. It's a revolutionary move, which is really the heart and soul of the message of Jesus. It's extremely revolutionary. It's extremely um, um, 
what's the word for revolutionary? I can't think of it. I just lost it. It's, a, it's like an insurrection, you know, because it's, it's this change being brought from the inside out. And so we're to, look, as it were, take over culture with the Christian message because we're the light in the world. So this was the motive of these guys replacing the pagan celebrations with these, you know, um, replacing Christian or Christmas by getting rid of these other things. But I actually think from my study of history, that's later in the process. And um, this next thing I'm gonna put up, it's, it's not really that important, but it just shows you where people have been trying to think through what day should we use? Because the angel says, today, God sends angel choirs. God makes a really big deal out of the day that Jesus was born. Again, a much bigger day than his, even his resurrection. There's no angel choir happening at his resurrection. Now, theologically, I'm like, oh man, we gotta have that. Resurrection's huge, but what does God do? Where does God send most of his angels? On the day of Jesus' birth. We're just taking our notes from him. So the early church tried to figure out what is today? You know, when, when do we celebrate today? That is the day of Jesus' birth. And so um, they made some calculations based upon, at the time of, in history, there was a lot of people who thought the uniqueness of Jesus is partially described by the fact that his life is, a, is, is whole and it's a, it's a perfection. No one's ever lived like Jesus. He was a perfect life. And because his life is perfect, there's a wholeness in their mind. They said there's a wholeness such that his conception happened on the same date as his crucifixion. That is, they said, March 25th. Now, this is a date that we can get from history because uh, the, the death of Jesus is, corresponds with the Passover meal, and we can go back thousands of years and name the exact date and day of the, of the week that this, the Passover was celebrated you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. So 14th of the, of the Hebrew uh, month, Nisan, is the day that Jesus was crucified. And the Roman calendar, that's March 25th. Well, get your calculators out, because this is hard. But what's nine months from March 25th? Exactly, December 25th. So this, in their view, these early Christians said, hey, this whole perfect life of Jesus, completeness of Jesus, his crucifixion happened on the same date as his conception. And that's where they came up with March 25th, which brings us to, to December 25th. Is that conclusive for me? No. But in a way, I don't really care what day it is because for me, theology is more important than chronology. The fact that Jesus is God and came to earth, became flesh, the fact that he didn't just fall to the sky, but he was fully human, born of a woman, the fact that he was born as a baby, God become flesh, that theology is far more important to me than what's the day, but the angels said that today is a day worth celebrating. So what is that great day? Well, December 25th works for me. I mean, seriously, I don't care about what day it is of the calendar, but I do want to reserve a day to celebrate what it looks like from the Bible, God's greatest celebration in history, the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
So there's my little apologetic for why I'm glad you're here on December 25th, the day that is Christmas Day for us to celebrate the greatest birth of all and one of the greatest days in history and Jesus' great day of becoming human and beginning the process where he becomes our Savior. So, so celebrating Jesus' great day is the beginning of the salvation of God. And so all these Old Testament prophecies that are quoted, like, for instance, Luke 3, 6 quotes, and all the people will see the salvation of God, Isaiah 40. And this idea of the salvation of God, where God comes to visit his people, to save his people, to redeem his people. The salvation is not from man. The salvation comes from God. It's the salvation of God brought to us, which is why we celebrate Jesus as our Savior. But as we learned last night, the angel also says that he's not only Savior, he's Messiah and he's Lord. And those three titles for Jesus, we unpacked this yesterday, I'm not gonna preach yesterday's sermon, are full of meaning, but they're not the first title that's given for Jesus. That actually happened before he was born when the angel came to Mary in Luke 135 and said, the holy one to be born will be called, there's his first title, the son of God. So one other great way for us to, to celebrate the, the great joy that God's bring is to receive God's great gift, the Messiah of God, the savior from God, the Lord of all, the Son of God, born to us. According to the Bible, God's greatest gift, because you all know this verse. I don't even have to put it up here. For God so loved the world that he what? Everybody say this word with me. Gave. This is Christmas. He gave his one and only Son, the Son of God, that whoever believes in him, is that just his death? Well, he hasn't died yet. In John 3, 16, Jesus has not died yet. This is believing in Jesus and all he was, all he said, all he did, all that he represents. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, receiving God's great gift. Is that why we give gifts on Christmas Day? Because God gifted us? Sounds good to me. I, I can't prove that from history. But it sounds good to me. God is the great giver. His gift of Jesus has changed everything. Let's celebrate that. A amen? On Christmas Day. Let's celebrate it day around, but we're, year around. But we're not done yet. We're walking through all these great gifts and great things that God's done. The next verse, verse 12, this will be a sign to you. I'm going to call this a great sign that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, we all know what a manger is now, right? It's a feeding trough. We learned that last night. And this idea of wrapped in cloths, well, that's, that's really not that big of a deal. Most babies were wrapped in swaddling cloths. In fact, if not all babies, because that's the way they did birth. They believed that you needed to wrap that baby up and, and that swaddled them and tightly to, so their legs and their arms would grow out straight. That's just what they believed. So it's a, it, was a, it was a common, very common thing to wrap in, in cloths, and, but it wasn't so common to lay a baby in a manger. And so this is the sign that the angel gives to the shepherds when you find a baby 
It'll be wrapped in cloths because it's newborn. But when you find that baby lying in a manger, you know that's the great sign. And last night, I talked about the great king, the great God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, coming to earth. And what a humbling experience that it was. So I call this great sign the humility of God. Love this picture. This great God, this great birth, this great person, this great Savior comes as a baby to a poor family and they lay him in an animal feeding trough. That humility is something that many people despised, but because of the life, the birth and life of Jesus Christ, humility began to become a characteristic, a value that in the Christian church we now value today because Jesus said of himself, I am humble in heart. Did you know that the only place in the whole New Testament where Jesus describes himself is in Matthew 11 where he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. He never says, I am loving. He never says, I am great. He never says, I am holy. He, he never says, I am a good person. He, he, the only adjective he says of himself is, I am gentle and humble. And then throughout the Bible, you get this language. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Paul picks up on the great theme of Philippians 2, that God has exalted him, this one who humbled himself to become a human and to live a human life and to die a death on the cross. God exalted him. Jesus is the example of the great humility of God starting with his very birth, which then leads us to the next verse, verse 13, where we see our word great again. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared. God says this is a day worth celebrating. And they are praising God. Everybody likes to point out that the angels weren't singing because the Bible says saying. You're right, they're saying, but the word praising here is a word for praising God with song. So there's the, that's why we sing today, um, glory to God in the highest. Uh, what's your Latin verse? Uh, in excelsis Deo. So there, there's an excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This, this great company of angels singing, declaring, celebrating the glory of God. So the next thing you can write down is discovering, I'm gonna fill in the blank in a second, but this picture of the glory of God. Oh, oh, what a, what a picture the glory of God is. Throughout the Old Testament, we get glimpses of the glory of God. God showing up in the temple and, the, and a light and fire and thunder and smoke and, and people just being so in awe of the glory of God. And you move throughout the Old Testament, you keep getting these pictures that, that, that causes some people to fall on the ground as if they're dead. Causes other people to fall back. Causes other people, their mouths just to drop open. Isaiah chapter six, he's, Isaiah says, I had this vision. I was in the temple and I saw the glory of God. And I, and I ended up saying, woe is me because God is great and God is holy. And I've seen his glory and I should be dead. It's just it these pictures that we keep getting of the glory of God. And then in the New Testament, John tells us that we've, the word has become flesh. Jesus has become human and we've seen his glory glory. 
the glory of the one and only, but it doesn't stop there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that, that God is actually transforming us into more and more glorious ways. We're, we're becoming more and more like Christ by the power of the Spirit. So this, this glory is actually working in us. And then you get back to heaven, and there's the glory again, the glory of God. So this theme of the glory of God just keeps flowing throughout the Bible. And this is what the angels sing. Glory to God. We're giving God glory because that's why we were created. You ever thought about this before? The angels were created to glorify God. Who else in all of creation was created to bring glory to God, to glorify God? Who are those people? That's exactly right. Us not being Christians only, every human being, I don't know if you know this, every human being was created to give glory to God. Most don't. But that is life's greatest purpose. That's why you breathe. That's why you exist. So here in this great song of celebration from the angels, we're getting a clue as to what it's all about. It's all about the glory of God. That's why God created the heavens and the earth to bring glory. That's why he created you and I. We're here to bring God glory. And I love this connection between the angels getting it and saying, that's why we exist, to bring glory to God. And I prayed that this Christmas season, you grasp that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whatever you do, including celebrate Christmas. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's actually my life verse. Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all to the glory of God. I want to live my life to bring glory to God. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. And this is seen for us even on Christmas Day. Okay, glory to God, but what about people? Glory to God, peace to people. This is, this is, the, this is the message that the angels are bringing. Jesus, today, his birth, brings glory to God and peace to people. Did that birth bring peace to people? Well, this picture of us having peace with God begins with the birth of Jesus. But of course, as I said earlier, it includes his life, his teaching, his teaching of shalom, his showing us what peace looks like. This peace of God, this, this peace that we need in fact, I would say to you is our greatest need because even though God created us for his glory, let me just bring this real personal. The way you spent your night last night, the way you're spending your day today, the way you're spending your day tomorrow, the way you'll spend your day on Sunday, January 1st, 2023, the way you spend Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, the way you spend every week of your life, every day of your life is meant to bring glory to God. But let's just be really frank, we don't. Most of the world doesn't even care about the glory of God. And let's be clear that there are lots of times in our lives, come on, we can be honest, where as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as people who love God, we can get caught up in our own thing, right? And, and we forget that our purpose is to bring glory to God and we, get, we fall back into, I, I wanna do what's best for me. And see, this picture of what sin is, that it's self-centeredness, that it's, it's me thinking about myself instead of thinking about the glory of God. I mean, 
Christians fall into this all the time. You, you fall into this all the time. Even though you know your life exists for the glory of God, you have times, you have seasons, you have moments where you are only about yourself. Why? Because we're sinful. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is why Jesus came to heal that falling short, that, to, to close that gap, to save us and to give us peace with God. Because when God created us, when God created humanity, he, he created us to be in relationship with him. We would walk with him. He would walk with us. Read the first couple chapters of Genesis. It's beautiful. It's the intimacy. It's the relationship that God wants for us. Our God is an intimate, relational God. That's what he's created for us. But our sin separated us. We no longer have peace with God. So Adam and Eve sin and then hide and then lie. And the peace is broken. Until Jesus comes and the angels declare peace on earth. Just because of his birth, no, it was starting the peace plan, the peace process where Jesus' life and then eventually his death and resurrection would reconcile us back to God. God has already reconciled himself to us in Jesus. There's nothing left for God to do. Now we've got to reconcile ourselves back to God because he's taken the first step. I sent Jesus to live, well, to be born, to live, to die, to heal the gap. Now receive him, follow Jesus, surrender your life to him because that kind of peace, that intimacy, that shalom where life is well, that comes through Jesus Christ, the prince of Peace. So our greatest need is having peace with God. And until there is peace with God, there's no chance for there to be peace on the whole earth. This is why the church is so important in the plan of God. Because Paul says in Ephesians 2.14 that Jesus himself is our peace. And so as the presence of Jesus, as the body of Christ on earth, that's not just Christians, that's the church. It's not Christians who are the body of Christ. It's the church who's the body of Christ. And we are to bring the presence of Christ, the peace of Christ. So peace with God then turns into peace with people. And there can be no peace that's in lasting peace until there's peace with God. You see what I just did? I just pictured the cross. Peace with God leads to peace with people. It doesn't start with peace with people leads to peace with God. It's the other way around. Peace starts up here in heaven. God sending Jesus to earth. Peace with God. Then it leads to peace with people. And who are those people? Well, let's finish the verse. To those on whom his favor rests. Now, some people twist that verse to say, well, it's not to all people, even though the angel just said, I give you great news that will be for all the people they say, to those on whom his favor rests, implies that there are those on whom his favor does not rest. I disagree, 100%. Because the word favor is not, ooh, you're doing good. I'm gonna give you some favor. Ooh, you're doing, way to live. You know, it's like a, a cosmic Santa Claus. Because you're good, I'm gonna give you gifts. 
This is one of the ways that Santa has ruined Christmas. We don't get gifts because we've been good. We get the gift of life, the gift of Jesus, because he is good and his gift makes us good. So there's no one who's ever lived who deserves the grace of God. There's no one who ever lived who God says, well, because you've been so good, my favor rests on you. This last thing I want you to see, experiencing God's great favor is one of the greatest stories of Christmas. And over and over again, we hear it's for all people. But maybe by helping you understand the Greek word for favor, you'll begin to grasp why I say this is for all people because the Greek word for favor is the word grace. So glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his grace rests. Do you remember what Paul said in Titus chapter two, verse 11? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to a few here and there. No, to all people, the grace of God has come. Just like the angel said, today in the city of David, I bring you good news that will be for all people. This is where all people say amen. To all people, the grace of God is available. It's appeared in Jesus and it's for everyone. (laughs) So that brings us back to this passage. This grace that is revealed in Jesus Christ that brings us peace and that brings us great joy is for everyone here, everyone hearing my voice, everyone who's ever lived because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but God had a plan and it started with Jesus him sending him to earth, being born as a baby on a certain day, whatever day that was. But that day is the day that Jesus, that God sent his angels to celebrate. And today we celebrate today as December 25th, the day that God intervened into history to bring great joy where there had been great darkness, great glory to reconcile us back to God, great peace for us to a great salvation. And that is why we sing on Christmas Day, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Amen? A great joy for all the people. So let's stand to our feet. And Father, we wanna celebrate this last act on Christmas morning as the church. This last act as the gathered body to worship together the living God. We say joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. Our King is here. We join with all creation, all nature, all heaven. We join with the angels themselves singing glory to God. And we thank you for Jesus. And we celebrate this day as today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. We worship you, we love you, and we sing with all of our heart in the name of Jesus, amen, amen.